Welcome back to our study of the book of Revelation. Uh, sorry that we've taken a couple of weeks off of this if you're watching them as they come out. Uh, if you're watching this uh, after the fact, you won't know the difference. But if you're, if you're watching these live as we release them, uh, it's been a couple of weeks off. Uh, our family just got through with a, a round of COVID. Uh, and uh, you know we, we finally, <laughs> it finally came to visit our household. We're all doing fine. Uh, we all managed it just fine. Uh, I had a couple of rough days. My wife had a couple of rough days. The kids relatively unscathed. Um, and other than not being able to smell anything and thank at Thanksgiving, uh, I really suffered very little from it. But it is my favorite meal of the year, and so that was a bit tragic to not be able to enjoy it as I normally do. But we survive, um, and of course, we we know there are so many who have been touched by that illness, um, and some with far more tragic consequences than we experience. So we 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 offer our prayers for those families and for those people. Um, as we continue to deal with this pandemic, but uh, we are thankful that in our family that we've been we've been able to to manage. But we are back to uh, regular programming, as it were, and we are dealing with the Book of Revelation. And we moved to chapter nine today. Uh, we remember we ended chapter eight with um, the, the these trumpets. The seventh seal is open, and it brings forth trumpets. Uh, and we, we made it through the first four, and then we had this, um, this eagle who was saying, woe to you, woe to you. There were three woes uh, that were coming. Uh, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth, because there's something worse that's coming. And that's where we pick up in chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of the great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment them, for five months, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. If uh, they will long to die, and death flees from them. Um, whew. Remember, and I remind often when we read scripture, we just went from chapter eight, chapter nine. We took a break there, and we to move to the next chapter. Uh, we put the chapter breaks in there. That's not how it was written. It was continuous. We put it in there for organizational purposes, but there's not a break. And if you really want to have your eyes open to Scripture, get a, a version of the Bible that does not have chapter and verse breaks. Uh, read it as one narrative, eye-opening, how that will change your perception. So we move. ...of those who read and more likely heard uh, this letter this book of Revelation. There was no chance to catch their breath. There was no opportunity to recover from what they were hearing and the drama that was unfolding that they were being told of. And here we see a picture of the abyss, the bottomless pit, um, and, and this key to the abyss that came to earth and opened up and then out of it pours locusts and, and, and all this pain and destruction. 
Um, in general, in these first six verses or so, we need to recognize something about this abyss. This is the place of death. This is what is referred to as Hades. This is the underworld. This is something that would have been understood by the, the audience, the original audience to this letter. And what's important to note here is there is a key. There is a means of opening it. Um, and it, it's controlled by God. God has the power to open this place of death. And we see this evil coming out of it and destruction coming on the land and torture and to the point that people will long to die, it says. I think the picture that we see painted very often in Revelation and elsewhere in Scripture is that God has Satan on a leash. God has Satan under control. Yes, he will let that leash out sometimes. And that's going to be the theme of this chapter that we'll look at, that sometimes God's going to let that chain out a little bit on Satan and let him snarl and bark and get close. But he's always going to pull him back when it comes to his people, when it comes to caring for his people. Um, the locusts. We see locusts being the... Um, the, the subject here, then uh, out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. That's verse 3. And power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. So the power to inflict pain, the flat, uh, power to inflict um, destruction. Locusts, I don't know if you've ever experienced a plague of locusts. That would have been a far more common thing in their time uh, and a far more destructive thing. We, we have a lot of ways of avoiding the, um, the pain that insects can inflict, inflict on us. But every now and then we do see, um, every so many years when the cycles come through, you see the cicadas come out, uh, you hear them, it's almost deafening. I grew up in the south, um, we've had them here at least once since we've lived in Wisconsin, but for 30 years in Arkansas, I can remember there were summers that came along, um, and uh, in my adult life a couple of times, where you, you get the cicadas come out of the ground, and they live in the trees, and they're so loud you can't even hear yourself think. I mean, it's nearly deafening, and they're into everything. Um, we get uh, Asian beetles here a lot. Um, there are a lot of insects that attack corn, and this is a corn-growing part of the country. Uh, so we see that sometimes those things do happen, but we have ways of combating it, and we have ways of dealing with it, and we have homes that are sealed and that prevent these things from getting in. In their time, when locusts came upon the land, when you had these plagues, really, of locusts, they strip everything in a matter of days, sometimes hours, destroying crops, destroying food. And that doesn't just throw the commodity prices out of whack at the Chicago Board of Trade. No, that's their food, that's their livelihood, that's their sustenance. It's gone. And when there's no food in the land, now people have to move to where there is food. They have to leave. And so you see the suffering of starvation, you see the suffering of poverty, but then you see the suffering of displacement. It destroys the food and it displaces people. And when people are displaced and they're going to find food elsewhere, passing through treacherous lands and territories controlled by others, now it can bring about war. So when you think about the implications that a plague of locusts has, it's destructive it can cause starvation and poverty, and it can cause war because starvation and poverty cause war. They always have. When people are displaced and on the move, conflict results. Now, these are not real locusts, <clears throat> and you can find um, 
recycling bins at bookstores full of books that are now out of date because someone uh, tried to take Revelation literally and tried to make these locusts into something else, right? They tried to say that this was, uh, these are Huey helicopters or this is an army from this country or that country. And eventually they fall out of date because they're no longer relevant. And we'll talk a little more about that in a minute, about how we make ourselves the center of God's drama. But these aren't real locusts. And there's some reasons that we think, and we know that these are not literal locusts that are being predicted to come upon the earth. One is because God clearly says at the beginning of all this that he's going to use signs and symbols. So we know that that's, that's the paradigm we're working under. Um, also because the locusts don't attack that which is growing, the grass and the trees. They're, they don't attack that. Locusts always eat up what's green, so probably not real locusts. And also it talks about locusts and stinging and um, having stingers. Uh, locusts don't sting. They don't bite. They're harmless to humans except what they can do to the produce and the things around them. Now, clearly we see here that they're not allowed to kill. They're allowed to torture, but they're only allowed to go after those who are not God's people, um, not those who are marked on their forehead with the seal of God, right? We see that. Now, we could get into the numbers here um, about the five months and five being uh, this, this unbalanced number that, that um, is an, a, a sign of discomfort or of something being out of sorts. Um, but the, the gist of this is that we have a plague of locusts that can torture and that can cause pain and destruction, but only to those who are not sealed with, um, with, with God. And uh, this knowledge that, that good helps us survive but also makes us a target. Okay, doing good, being God rather, helps us survive, but also makes us a target. Um, we, need to, we need to take a minute and talk about that. Because those who are God's people have advantages uh, at times. And, and, and while that's a good thing, it also, it also can cause them to have a bit of a bullseye on their back. Think about the Jewish people. And again, this would have been the audience of, of this book and of this letter, primarily Jewish Christians. And look at what has happened to them, not just in this time, but really throughout history. Uh, because Jews follow strict rules about cleanliness and hygiene, and you can go back to Leviticus chapter 11 and come on through and see how they deal with food, see how they deal with pre preparation of food and dietary restrictions. You see how they deal with things like mold and dead bodies and sources for water. And the Jewish people have often, in history, avoided major plagues. They have often found themselves relatively unharmed in, in major uh, issues of, of public health. The bubonic plague would be one. And every time, they, they tend to be protected from these things. And then that makes them a target because uh, they're not suffering like the rest of the world is suffering. Think about times in our life, and we're living through one right now where we have uh, an illness that is spreading across the earth, continues to, and it pretty well affects everybody equally. It really doesn't matter if you're a, uh, if you're a Christian or not, you know, you, you have a chance of getting COVID. But think about things like HIV, AIDS. I was growing up during that time. I remember a little bit about it, but I remember the time when there was a lot of uncertainty about how one could contract this illness. Uh, 
Um, and then as it, it, we began, began to learn more, and it became, it became evident that there were certain behaviors that one could engage in that would increase their chances. Primarily, the, the sharing of, of needles and drug use, unprotected sexual intercourse, and it was particularly higher amongst um, the homosexual community. Homosexual men, particularly, were at greater risk of this because of some of those behaviors. Now, in a faith community where we, we tend to discourage and avoid the use of drugs, and we tend to discourage and avoid sexual promiscuity, uh, and we are monogamous by, by our teaching and by our practice generally, Christian people don't have to worry about it. I've never been scared of getting HIV. I've never been scared of having AIDS. I've been around people that have had it, and I've never worried about it. Now, obviously, there are some other situations. There are children who are born with it. There are people who receive blood transfusions, or at least in the past, uh, early on that received bad blood transfusions because we didn't know um, who got it. So there's outliers, I understand. But by and large, I've never feared sexually transmitted diseases because uh, I lived a life, you know, that that of avoiding that and avoiding promiscuity. And so um, as that happens, Christians are looked at a little bit sideways sometimes because if we follow God's will and we follow God's word, we don't have to worry about those things. That can make us a target. The Jews, the faithful, are, are sometimes a target. They're sometimes a target of the world around them, but because of their faithfulness and because of their obedience, they can sometimes avoid the pain and the suffering that comes in this world. And so we have to understand there is some physical benefit to obeying God. Now, this imagery that we see here is also used in a couple of other places, primarily in the prophets, and there is a couple of prophets that we can read from, and we can see. If you'll go to the book of Joel, if you know where that is, you can check your table of contents. But if you go to the book of Joel and look at uh, chapter 1, beginning, uh, we'll begin in verse 4. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Awake, drunkards, and weep and wail, all you wine drinkers, on account of the sweet wine that is cut off from your mouth. Verse 6, For a nation has invaded my land, mighty and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and its fang it has the fangs of a lioness. It has made my vine a waste. And my fig tree splinters, it has stripped them bare and cast them away. Their branches have become white. Joel the prophet is saying there is an invading army coming, and he refers to them as locusts. Okay? You can also go to Ezekiel. We have to be cautious with Ezekiel because you can't take it very literally. Uh, you can get yourself in some big trouble there. But go to chapter 9 of Ezekiel. Look in verse 1. We'll read several verses here. Then he cried out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed in linen with a writing case at his loins. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub, 
on which it had been to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. So go mark the ones who don't like what's going on. Go mark the ones who are faithful, who abhor what is happening and these abominations and sins. Um, but to the others he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children and women, but do not touch any man on whom uh, is the mark and you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were at before the temple and he said to them, defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. Thus they went out and struck down the people of the city as they were striking the people, and I alone was left. I fell on my face and cried out, saying, Alas, Lord God, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel by pouring out your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. And the land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. But as for me, my eye will have no pity, nor will I spare but I will bring their conduct upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case reported, saying, I have done just as you commanded me. Whew. Okay. Some tough language there. Ezekiel can be pretty harsh. It can be pretty rough. What are we to make of this? Well, two things. First of all, both in Joel and Ezekiel, you see imagery that is repeated by the revelator in John. Um, a lot of the prophets have some of this apocalyptic language and uh, it would have been familiar. That's the point. The people reading it, hearing it for the first time, understood it because they knew their prophets. They knew armies like locusts. They understood the destruction that comes on a people because of sin, and that is one of the themes here of chapter 9. Sin destroys. Sin absolutely and utterly destroys. There are consequences to our behavior. Yes, God is full of grace and full of love, and yes, there is redemption and even protection for those who are faithful. That's evident. He's not letting them kill the ones who are faithful, uh, not even letting them torture the ones who are faithful. But God does give warnings. If you look at Ezekiel and go down to chapter 18, um, it says that he doesn't want to destroy. He doesn't want to kill. He doesn't want to do this, but that he will allow it to happen. The destruction that comes are the consequences of bad choices, bad behavior. The destruction that comes are the consequences of sin. And the blessings and protection that come are the, are the result of obedience and faithfulness. Does that mean that we are saved by our behavior, that we're saved by our works? No, absolutely not. We're saved by the grace of God. But we have to understand that the realities of the world are pain, destruction, and sometimes suffering. And there is a way that we can avoid some of that by being faithful. Does that mean that your life will be without struggle if you're a Christian? No. But it does mean that there are blessings, physical blessings that result from obedience, and there are physical consequences that result from sin. We have seen that being the case, and God sometimes lets the chain out on Satan a little bit, doesn't he? Sometimes lets that dog a little further on the leash before yanking him back, stopping him just short of killing or stopping him just short of harming those who are faithful. God does not want to destroy us. He doesn't want to harm us. He doesn't want to kill us. But if we choose another path, if we leave from his protection, he'll let us go down that path. And he gives us lots of warnings, lots of warnings along the way 
lots of information along the way about what's coming. If we go back to Revelation now, we ended in, in verse 6 of chapter 9. We'll continue reading. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on the he their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And I'll stop here. Take a pen, underline every time you see the word like, or um, appeared to be, or uh, in the form of, or something, a simile, because it's full of them. Okay, understand the signs and the symbols. He's explained, God uses language the way we use language. He's explaining it in a way we can understand. So they have breastplates, uh, were like breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. They have, excuse me, they have um, tails like scorpions and stings in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. Again, we have that five-month um, sort of uh, um, number there about the discomfort and the displacement. So the power to hurt them for five months. Um, they have a king over them. Uh, they have as king over them the angel of the abyss, okay, the ruler of the abyss. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name uh, Ap uh, uh, Apollyon. Now, these two names are given here, uh, Abaddon and Apollyon. Now, they're not exact one-to-one um, -one matchup here from Hebrew to Greek. But roughly translated, we're talking about death and destruction. Okay, death and destruction. That's what rules the abyss. Death and destruction. Uh, and again, in symbolic speak, death and destruction is coming upon the land, coming upon the people. Verse 12, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. He said, whoa, 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 the eagle did in chapter 8. So we have more to come. No time to catch the breath, right? Verse 13, then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now here's the scary part. This is when it gets terrifying. These angels, this destruction, it's going to cross the river. It's going to overcome their protection. It's going to be allowed to penetrate to the land. Verse 15, and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. You see how it progressively gets worse? We have the, the star falls, the smoke, the, 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 this terrible imagery, and then the locusts come, and then the locusts destroy, and then the locusts torture. And now the angels cross the Euphrates, and now they kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. Okay, we have two. That's the, the combination of power. Um, and, and you have 10 there, which is completeness. So don't get hung up on the number. It's a lot. And it's powerful, right? I heard the number of them. Verse 17. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of um, hyacinth and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these plagues, by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. <clears throat> The rest of mankind, verse 20, who were not killed by these plagues, 
did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Now you see what that's saying? Um, a third of mankind is killed. The ones that aren't killed still don't repent because they don't want to stop worshiping their idols. They don't want to stop worshiping evil and doing evil. They did not, verse 21, they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor of their thefts. God is a gracious and loving God. But he will allow us to chart a path of destruction. He will warn us. He's patient. My goodness, the, the, if I were to name the themes of chapter 9, it would be the one primarily the patience of God. Look at his patience. There is evil in the world, and he allows destruction to come upon the evil of the world. He allows trouble and pain, even death, to come upon the world because of sin. There are consequences for sin, and there is protection for faithfulness. But this world is full of trouble and pain, and God gives warnings all along the way. Turn back. Turn back. There will be a blessing to those who turn to God. But even through all of this, some still will not repent. Some still will not turn, and they will suffer for it. But God is patient, and he takes it step by step by step as the trouble and the pain escalates and escalates, warning all along the way, receiving back those who will repent, and allowing punishment to come on those who don't. I, mean, I don't have a silver lining here because it's, it's scary stuff. But what I can say is that God is patient, and we shouldn't lose sight of the patience of God. We also shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this was written, again, for us, but not to us. And as we read it, we must remember the people who heard it and read it originally understood it. They knew it because they were living amongst Rome, and Rome had made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Evil emperor after evil emperor, Caligula and Nero, all the way down the line. There was evil. They had made bad choices. Destruction was coming. Destruction had already begun for Rome. They were falling. It took them a long time to fall, like a century. But they were falling. And the people of that empire suffered as a result. And we have to be careful here because we like to make ourselves the center of God's drama. We like to feel like we're more important if we can find where we fit into this. And we talk about persecution and our politicians and our country and our wars. Folks, none of that's in here. <laughs> this is not about us. It's about them. Can we learn from it? Absolutely. Can it change the way we see the world? Certainly. It should. But it's not about us. And we don't really know what persecution's like. They were living in an empire that was crumbling, and the response of that empire was to do more and more evil. People died as a result. People were tortured as a result. The people suffered greatly for generations, particularly Christians, particularly Jews. And suffering continues in other parts of the world on the basis of faith. It doesn't quite compare to what we think of as persecution in our context. So try to have a little bit greater perspective. Uh, as you read this and as you think about it, because we don't know what this is like. Maybe one day we will, but right now we don't. 
And so we have to understand that God is faithful. God will care for and protect those who belong to him, those who accept Jesus Christ, and those who try to live accordingly. God doesn't reward or punish us on our own merit. He does so on the basis of his grace and Christ's sacrifice. But there are real consequences, sometimes, for how we choose to live. Turning from sin and turning toward God will give you a life that is full, more full of blessing. Those who turn to sin and away from God will suffer. There will be consequences in this life. And God will warn us, and he'll let that chain out a little at a time. And when the time is right, he'll pull it back. But we have to be prepared, because there are going to be times where we don't catch our breath, where we don't get a break, and chapter 10 is coming. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time when we cover chapter 10.